Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight, well, no sight, just sound, and mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. That's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Cinema Chop Shop. <laughs> Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop, everybody. Uh, we're back from uh, another chunk of time between episodes i think we miscalculated on our last one it's been three weeks so uh welcome back listeners and welcome uh to uh, uh co-host chelsea hi i'm of course your other co-host sean and the king has returned <laughs> we want to welcome to the show a guest travisito thank you for having me where's my fatted lamb and we're also very excited to welcome to the show back to the show friend of the show it's your boy mark great to be here (laughs) excellent pardon the uh, hum of the uh, air conditioner if you hear it uh it's necessary we're not fucking sorry i mean audio be damned uh it's hot as balls we're right in the throes of summertime today's not even as hot as it's been this week and it's still murder outside yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. awful um, <clears throat> all the nooks and crannies of your body are, are mm-hmm. just sweaty and damp. Mud butt. Definitely mud butt. Mud butt? What the fuck is that? <laughs> Swamp ass. Swamp ass. It just sounds like you've shit yourself. <laughs> that's what I think that's what it means. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, kind of what it was. Like Chappelle like. did where he was eating ribs in bed. And he's like, <laughs> he farts. He's like, mm, mud butt. <laughs> it feels like that. What a genius. Uh, anyway, so we're back in the shop, everybody. And uh, thank you all for joining us. From my shitty intro, uh, you can tell that we're going to be talking about the Twilight Zone today. The movie. And mm. more specifically, Twilight Zone, the movie. But before we jump into that mm-hmm. film, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Twilight Zone itself. The OG series. The OG. Uh, the original series was aired uh, from 1959 to 1964. On CBS. CBS. It uh, spanned several genres. Science fiction, fantasy, absurdism, dystopian fiction, horror, supernatural, and psychological thrillers, oftentimes with some sort of twist ending with a little bit of a moral shoved in your face. Of course, brainchild of uh, Rod Serling. Yes. And uh, creator and host of the original series. Absolutely. And I believe he kind of was doing this for a sci-fi magazine before this as that well. That sounds right. Hmm. But there were several spinoffs and several revivals mm-hmm. of the show. There was actually a radio series from 2002 to 2012. I saw that. Wow, uh, that's way late for terrestrial radio. I know, right? Well, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Um, the TV movie came out in 1994. There was a second series revival after the film from mm-hmm. 1985 to 1989 on CBS, which was not very great. And then there was a third series on UPN uh-huh. <laughs> from 2002 to 2003, and then of course the fourth series uh, on CBS All Access, Jordan Peele's. From uh, 2019 to 2020. And I think that that revival is second only to the original series. It was, I think that the, the few things in between are inferior. I think that, <laughs> uh, that, that Peel was trying to pay proper respects to the original show. And Did whereas, you know who the host was for one of those middle ones? Uh, I can't, came across it. Who was it? Forrest Whitaker. Yes, Forrest Whitaker. That's really? right. Really? Yep. 
Huh. And of course, uh, Twilight Zone also had its own ride uh, at various Disney theme parks, the Twilight Zone oh uh, Tower of Terror. Fuck that ride. Chelsea, you rode this ride. I did. I'll be on that ride. Now, is this the one where it takes you way up and then drops really fast? It does. And so you, do you go faster than gravity for a second? I don't know. It took me three tries to actually get to that part because you okay. walk in and you get into this little room and there's like a flash of lightning and thunder and they start playing the music and I was freaked the fuck out there. I was like, <laughs> I need to get out of here yeah. now. Nope. So I got mad at myself, went back in, made it a little bit further <laughs> and then was like, nope, I'm not fucking doing this. I've got to go. And then <laughs> tried it for a third time and the attendant that was working it, he like saw my determination. He's like, we're going to do it this time. And he rode the whole thing with me. Well, that's nice. And I did it. Awesome. Yeah. Great really ride. Myself. Really good ride. She got a little pin to prove that she rode the ride. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, that was decommissioned in California and later became the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Oh. So, Real upgrade. A little, little bit of uh, pointless trivia there. So Twilight Zone is also well known for their theme song. We oh, all know yeah. it. Yes. yes. <laughs> there you go. So the theme that we know today was actually taken from two pieces of music. It was spliced together from CBS's stock music library. Okay. In an effort to save on cost and, yeah. to, and to work around unions. They wouldn't have to pay royalties. They wouldn't have to pay somebody to write it. Oh, yeah. It gets better. So Marius Constant is the original composer. He received nothing mm. oh. for decades. Wow. He was originally contracted to write some stuff for CBS for $200 <laughs> and was told that if any of it was picked up by the network, they would pay him $500. Mm-hmm. They never paid him shit. They didn't give oh him the 500 bucks. Decades and decades and decades go by before any royalties are paid out to his family. Well, maybe they thought that because they were mixing two tracks together that it trumped any uh, licensing issues, just like Girl Talk. <laughs> All right, so here's where it gets really fun. In 1979, the soft jazz group Manhattan Transfer mm-hmm. released a Twilight Zone disco song. Awesome. With nice. lyrics. <laughs> It, it's not awesome. That song's fucking curse. <laughs> okay. Could we get a drop on that, Sean? Yeah, could we get a little clip? <laughs> In 1985, for the return of the show to CBS, can you tell me who the creators of Twilight Zone turned to to create the theme for the 1985 run? Um, CBS, so it's not Danny Elfman. Nope. Um, so it's going to be somebody more poppy. Not even pop. Who is it? But popular. The Grateful Dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> Mickey Hart was an enthusiastic and punctual contributor, despite the odd pairing. He told CBS, I live the Twilight Zone. This is amazing. Wow. And he insisted on being in the show. He became so gung-ho about it that he was going the extra mile. They brought him on board as the show's sound designer. Now, did he have cameos in the show as well? I don't, know if he was, I don't know if he was acting, but okay. he was definitely running the sound department for That's the show. Cool. In addition to the Grateful Dead doing, yeah, the wow. Twilight Zone. Awesome. I did not know that. Isn't that crazy? I had no yeah, idea. That's, that's cool. So you got that really cool story. Here's a real shitty story. Uh, UPN's reboot was arranged and recorded by Jonathan Davis of Corn. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Seems appropriate. You're traveling to another dimension. 
mention not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are only that of the imagination. You're entering the Twilight Zone. The 2019 reboot, of course, the theme was recorded by composers Marco Beltrami and Brandon Roberts, more true to the original. Okay. So there you go. There's a little bit of a crash course on the uh, Twilight Zone theme song. Wow, they really got corn, huh? <laughs> well, you, you make it sound like it was a big get. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was a different time. I mean, for driving. the time. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> we wanted that edge. It's got to be extreme. <laughs> So, let's talk about the movie. Uh, Produced by Spielberg and Landis. Right. This was a uh, 1983 release. Uh Uh, Spielberg, Landis were uh, at the height of their game, according to Hollywood. come off of uh, Animal House and... American Wolf in London. And they were close. They were friends. Appearing in each other's movies. Close Encounters. Yeah. Yeah, they were appearing in each other's movies at the time. Yeah. So, you've got those two powerhouses. Then you have uh, two young filmmakers... uh, Joe Dante uh-huh. and George Miller. And so people would know Joe Dante, of course, from Gremlins. Correct. And then George Miller, uh, Mad Max, right? That and is, other things. Yes, yes, yes. You've got this great lineup of directors. You've got a wonderful show with mm-hmm. all kinds of uh, source material to pull up, pull from. And so we have uh, the four sections that we're going to talk about briefly today will be segment one, directed by John Landis. It's mm-hmm. called... A Quality of Mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the story of uh, Bill Connor, played right. by the late Vic Morrow, who is a racist. Yes. Cartoonishly racist. Yes. <laughs> Cartoonishly racist. He's at a bar with his friends, and he's just bitching and complaining about... Loudly and using epithets. Yes. Oh. He's using every racist term for Jews, black people... And there are these black Asians. guys. Yeah, these black guys right next to them, kind mm-hmm. of like get upset and confront the table. The future guy, in politics, right? Yeah, future in politics for sure. The guy walks out of the bar, and he's in Nazi Germany, right? And bounces around from Nazi Germany to the old South with the KKK. Yes. Incidentally, John Larroquette of Night Court is yeah. one of the characters mm-hmm. and well, one of the Fielding. actors. Yes, Dan Fielding. There's two Night Court cast members. I was going to get to that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what's her name? I've got my notes. Sel- Selma Ross. Diamond. Ross. That's yeah. it. Yeah. She's in the next segment. And then uh, he ends up in Vietnam and as a VC, mm-hmm. and things kind of end abruptly for that segment. But well, he sees himself as himself, himself. but he's being seen mm-hmm. as the um, the other basically the other in all of these situations the the person who's being persecuted right mm-hmm. so on the surface and we'll get into the story behind this mm-hmm. segment in the second half of the episode but on the surface what are, what are our thoughts about this segment I mean I thought this was the weakest of the four structurally there's something there it's and it's a trope that I think has been done before but it's somebody who's jaded and um kind of disillusioned turning over a new leaf because of having to be put in the shoes of the people that he but know, he doesn't learn anything on. at the end he's just on the train yeah he doesn't have a redemption <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a whatsoever he was supposed to which we're probably going to get into yeah we'll get well, into yeah. why but was... i don't even think in the original episode the guy really has that much of a really? redemption arc okay it, it, it kind of parallels some of uh, a christmas carol but that, like you said, no redemption arc. It's like mm-hmm. he sees the final ghost and says, 
Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> or what's the one with Jimmy Stewart? Oh, It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life, similar with that, too. Um, and he just takes Zuzu's rose petals and just kind of tosses them in the trash. Well, in the original, <laughs> it's it's a... Uh, like, World War Two. they're um, going in to, I don't know, fight somebody, like, in the Asian Pacific-type place, and... Um, all of a sudden this commander they're like war torn these guys are all sick his like troop is like no why are we doing this It's so dumb mm-hmm. and um he wakes up and all of a sudden he's on the other side and it really doesn't end with anything other than hey the americans just dropped an atomic bomb what are we gonna do and then it kind of is done based on what i read so the original is a weird okay. story yeah too. okay it's strange like that hmm. he says something i think profound at the end mm-hmm. but you're just kind of left going, did he really fucking learn anything? Right. <laughs> well, and I think you kind of get the same thing from what's presented here. It's like you're left wondering, well, what are we, what was, what was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, given if everything played out like it was supposed to have Which originally. Which it did not. And we're, well, we're going to get into more of that later. I right? think in the television show that works more because a lot of these episodes, you're sort that of left to like ratings. draw your own conclusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a movie aspect, no, I think that's why it doesn't work. Right. Yeah. You're just thrown into the next segment, or it should have ended on this one. Yeah, they changed the ending, is what I understand. Yeah, <laughs> from what it originally was. I think it was the weakest of the four. I don't know how you guys rank them. I I definitely consider it the bottom two. Yeah, one of the bottom two. The kick the can one is, is pretty rough, also. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Insofar as feeling so, like a real Twilight Zone. So let's segment. talk about the kick in the can. Uh, Moving to segment number two. Yeah, this is uh, kick the can, uh, directed mm-hmm. by Steven Spielberg. Yes. This one. Uh, plays like and uh, I guess this is me being the age I was you know Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories premiered in 1985 I think he was kind of doing a proof of concept piece for it Amazing like Stories of that. yeah because yeah. it it lacks it lacks menace mm-hmm it lacks... It kind of balances uh, out the other three a bit, because the first one is so bleak in its yeah. ending. You know, he's just literally being carted off to concentration camps. This one's kind of wholesome. This was very, well, very see, wholesome. And, and for me, Peter though, Pan it, ending, all that. For me, it, it kind of sticks out as being... It's um, a clunker. I'll, I'll agree well, with you. Well, I guess we should back up and talk about it. Uh, you've got a group of elderly people living in a retirement village, and you have a, an elderly uh, African-American gentleman playing by Scatman Crothers. A magical Negro. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is that, was that his character? No, but Man? that's a trope oh, that so, yeah. they were yeah. definitely tapping they into. They were definitely pulling up. on that. Uh, also in the cast, Bill Quinn, Martin Garner. You mentioned Selma Diamond from mm-hmm. uh, Night Court and Helen Shaw, which I recognize her from other things. That would be amazing, though, if in the credits they had his character as not Mr. Bloom, <laughs> but Magical Negro. <laughs> I'll only do it if... <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a different... I see it in type. <laughs> it was a different time, so <laughs> it could have happened. Yeah. But uh, Scatman Crothers' character, they had this kind of philosophical discussion about how they're at the end of the line and they're all breaking down and just can't do things that they used to and... Mm-hmm. And, and Crothers is trying to get them to recapture that, that, that glimmer of youth. That shining. Yeah, that's what I thought the whole time. I was like, you got that shine. <laughs> Which, you know, again, the uh, magical Negro, as you mm-hmm. called it, from The Shining. Once again, I did not coin that term. <laughs> no, 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 but, but you're right. It, it, and it definitely, we did research, and it's okay to say. It, it is definitely a trope, and, and, and they kind of play into it. Yeah. In that regard, it does have that Steven Spielberg schlock to it. 
a little bit of the nostalgia of youth. Yeah, exactly. And that's where Steven Spielberg was kind of in his wheelhouse around this time with, mm-hmm. with E.T. and, you know, that whole uh, the magic of, of youth and mm-hmm. the innocence of youth. But Ron Howard did this segment better a couple years later with Cocoon. Cocoon. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> Chelsea said the Good same job. thing. She said, wait, what came out first, this or Cocoon? <laughs> So and cocoon was better. So it the, is. So the kids wake uh, the, the old people wake up one day and they're suddenly children, uh, or is, they wake up in the evening, I guess, because it's they all well, go to the, bed. The thought when they behind go out it, to play. The Once thought behind the can, it is right? you act young, you will be young. Right. If you feel like you're old, you're gonna be old. I'm surprised they didn't license the Young at Heart song <laughs> for this because it's so on the nose. But yeah, they go outside, they play kick the can, and they all love it. And I think they all come to terms with the fact that they can't stay this way forever. Until they don't love it, yeah. It's like, Except I don't want to go to one. school again. Except for one, <laughs> yeah. who decides to stay a kid. Well, at the end of their Peter of play, they're like, oh, well, where are we going to sleep tonight? Or what are we going to eat? Right. Our parents are dead. They're not going to let us into the <laughs> mm-hmm. old folks' home. So reality sets in for yeah. most of them, except for the one. Yeah. And then I said, wait a minute, Spielberg directed Hook. Yep. <laughs> I was like, holy fuck, what's his obsession with this? He got some ideas here. <laughs> so yeah, I think that this was more or less just a, 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 a ploy for Spielberg to test run a few things that he was going to well, do later on. I, 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 I guess, but this is literally a straight ripoff of the, epi- the episode. Is it? Sh- well, no word wonder. Word. Well, no wonder he was uh, he was attracted to it. I mean, yeah. this is it's a straight remake. This, yeah, this, this is the um the, the first one was the only original story, right? And the other three were all remakes of classic Twilight Zone well, the, episodes. No, the, the first one, the Landis one, was a reworking. <laughs> reworking, okay. yeah. yeah. Okay. Mercy. Okay. The quality of Mercy. They're all yeah. based on actual episodes, but I think in the other two, they take more liberties or take it further. They also brought in that guy Matheson to write a lot of the screen screenplay work. <laughs> We didn't mention the prologue. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Please, That's, talk about yeah, it. So the prologue, we've got uh, two people driving on a, on a road trip at night, and they are portrayed by Dan Aykroyd and... Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks. And they're playing trivia games, kind of. They're like, guess the theme song, and blah, blah, blah. And then, really hokily, uh, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd says, hey, do you want to see something really scary? And then he makes him pull over, like red flag, don't pull over the car for no reason, especially not to see something scary. Yep. Uh, and then what happens? You're led to believe that he's like, he turns into like an alien or like something. Like a demon yeah. monster, and he eats him. Off, off camera devours right. Albert Brooks. So it's kind of funny, ha-ha, but not really clever, that you know, they're talking about unmistakable TV theme mm-hmm. songs, and obviously the Twilight Zone is probably the king of the of When the he hill. was doing the Hawaii Five-O theme song, I was like, Hawaii Five-O, oh, Hawaii Five-O. <laughs> and he says, I don't know, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I thought that we would be remiss not to mention that. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because it does kind of come back as a button at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. But was Scatman Crothers born old? Has he just always been an old man? Everything I've ever seen him in, (laughs) yes. He's just only ever played an old man. I haven't seen him in a lot of stuff, but... Well, there's this, The Shining. uh I just saw him in Silver Bullet a couple weeks ago. Okay. And he played a very old man there. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Anybody got any more Scatman Crothers? I'm all flat out of Scatman Crothers anecdotes. Sorry, Mark. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan Gosh. of scat films. <laughs> hey, if he's on stage, is it a scat play? Yes. <laughs> it's very scatological. <laughs> all right. So there we go. That's Those are the two clunkers. 
And going mm-hmm. into segment three. Well, we'll go into segment three. Uh, Roger Ebert, when he reviewed this film, he said, you know, it's funny that the two powerhouse directors really phoned in the shittiest segments. Mm-hmm. He didn't say shittiest. I did. <laughs> and then the two best efforts were put forth by these young directors that we most of us have not heard of. Well, so. they needed to prove themselves. Absolutely. Rising There's a, to the occasion. Something to be said for hunger and wanting to, to mm-hmm. really make a name for yourself. And not that these two guys had to make a name for themselves necessarily, but when you're stacked up against Landis and Spielberg. Who are already established parts of the new Hollywood movement. Right, exactly. So it makes sense that these guys would put forth a better effort and turn out a better product. Yeah, totally. So the third segment is called... Sorry. uh, It's a good life. It's a good life. I'm sorry, my new computer here, I need to make sure it wasn't falling asleep. (laughs) So, yeah, the third segment's called It's a Good Life. Thank you. Directed by Joe Dante. Joe Dante. And it has all the earmarks of a Joe Dante film. And this is my favorite of the four. How about you guys? It's mine, too, but this... It's my second favorite. This one um, was based on a short story written in 1953. And Time and TV Guide say this is the best episode of the Twilight Zone series. It's a good one, and it's a well-known one. Yeah. You have uh, a woman played by Kathleen Quinlan who gets picked on at a bar by two roughhouse, roughneck kind of guys. She's not getting picked on. The boy is getting getting picked picked on. The boy's getting picked on. Thank you. Thank you. Right. It's been a few weeks since I've watched. He's playing a video game, and they come and, like, rough him up. One of the uh, guys picking on him is played by Bill Moomy. The original kid from the original Twilight Zone. And he's also Will Will Robinson from uh, uh, Lost in Space. But he's the original little kid from the original. Exactly. uh, It's a good watch. Really cool nod there. And uh, Jeremy Licht plays the little kid. He was one of the brothers in the uh, Valerie's family slash the Hogan family slash the Hogan's starring uh, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Yeah. Fucking love that show. Our, our peer. <laughs> our, our podcasting peer. Man, that, of course. that podcast is moving up in the rankings. Oh, it's, it's good. So smart. Good. Like just past my favorite murder or something. Well, you know, there. when you've got that Hollywood mm-hmm. money and that Hollywood cred. Also, those but three people films. with all of their connections, they can get their friends who are very interested. Right. I mean, no no offense to you guys, but I mean, you're no Kristen Wiig. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. Yeah. We have to agree with that, right? <laughs> so anyway, she gives the kid a ride home. He, because... Because she oh, almost she hits runs, him. Her she mother does, she does hit him. She well, runs over him. She she bends the fuck out of that bike. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't physically run over him with her car, but she, she hits him while he's on his bike. But he he did that on we'll, purpose, yeah, right? Yeah, we'll find out that he can make shit happen. Yeah, right. So she gives him a ride home to his little quaint house where his really eager to meet her family is. They're overly welcoming. Super Very creepy. welcoming. <laughs> uh, you've got uh, Kevin McCarthy, Patricia Berry, William Shallert, and did you catch the other? Ethel is played by Nancy Cartwright, who is the voice of Bart Simpson. There you go. I got one more, though. Yeah? The other sister, Sarah, in mm-hmm. the room with no no mouth. Yep. Ooh. That's Cherry Curry from The Runaways. Oh. Uh-uh. Yes, huh? I didn't look that up. Very cool. Uh, the bartender, by the way, is played by Dick Miller. Uh, yep. You'll know him from lots and lots of stuff. Uh, Roger Corman regular. Yes, very much so. So 
tell me about this plot. I mean, they, they, he's showing her around the house. The family's just falling Digging over. through her shit. Well, they, they <laughs> dig through her purse. Smoke all of her cigarettes. Get those cigarettes off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They go through her purse. There's something yeah. off, clearly, but you're kind of like, what the fuck? But then you also notice that just like the interior of the house, there's cartoons playing in every room. Mm-hmm. As he goes upstairs. Even the architecture is kind of cartoony. It yeah. is. And you go it's upstairs and it's old cartoons, black it turns and white. black and white All house. the pictures, wallpaper, everything is black and upstairs white. Upstairs is black and white. Yeah. While they're upstairs, they look into another room and there's a girl sitting there watching a TV screen with cartoons on it and he tells her that that's his other sister and she had an accident and as they leave the room the pan- the camera pans to her face and shows that she has no mouth that freaked me out as a kid mm-hmm. oh yeah because this was on cable all the time it was on HBO was a lot yeah, this was constantly on TV growing up I probably saw this God. movie a hundred times growing up he's been watching it since the 90s since the 90s I'd say yeah <laughs> <laughs> so nostalgic so it's very so it is established that he has powers mm-hmm. and he kind of controls and manipulates reality. They come back down to dinner. Yeah. Which the, cl- the mom character is like, uh, do you know where dinner is? <laughs> it's in the oven. Can you tell us where it is, honey? And their dinner is um, Ugh. <laughs> ice cream, candy apples, potato chips, and hamburgers topped with peanut butter. Mm. Hey, I've had a hamburger with peanut butter. It's I quite good. Ew. But just the, the, the monster and the peanut butter. <laughs> it's a bad time. So um, she she suggests that maybe it's his birthday. And then Nancy Cartwright's Ethel character is like, oh no, another birthday? And he uses like telekinetic powers on her and knocks her plate out of her hand. And then the the woman, what's the main character, the woman's name? Um, I don't know what her character's name is. Helen? It's, it's Kathleen Cole. Helen. 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 Yeah. Helen. Yeah. Um, she, she's like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. And she tries to leave, but he, the kid's like, wait, you've got to see Uncle Walt's trick, his hat trick. trick. And he's like, oh, whoa, he's, he's very drunk also. Yeah. <laughs> Flops, uh, flop sweat throughout. Yeah. He's like, well, where is the hat? He's like, it's on the TV. And now the hat appears on the TV. He's terrified. He's very, very nervous. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but pulls out a rabbit. And uh, little boy demands an encore. And so he pulls out a animated demon rabbit. Yeah. yeah. He, it, like something out of like a... a Ren and Stimpy outtake. Like, the, it, it was crazy looking. The kid's just flexing at this point. Uh-huh. Just right. showing off his powers completely and this, and For me, this is when it's like Joe Dante really comes out. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah. when things start going wrong, it really looks like his style. And putting a little bit of humor kind of softens up the audience when the horror starts to kind of kick in. Yeah, in this which segment. he does that which all the really time. Well. So yeah. she finds a note in her purse that says that... Um, Anthony is a monster, and he blames Ethel for making the note and banishes her to Cartoon Land, oh. where she gets devoured by a cartoon character on screen. One of the most nightmarish the murders yeah. I've ever seen in a movie. She tries to run out the door, and there's just a giant eyeball outside the door. Seems like the kid's eye, probably. And then he snaps the rest of the family away, and they're just left in blank nothingness. Uh, and when the uh, the shots are fading over each other, uh-huh. they're, they're saying like things that are echoing. It's different takes if uh-huh. you pay attention and to it. It's not see, just the same see, like, line multiple, repeated. Multiple angles on the same two figures. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. shit! Um, and then she tricks him, kind of. She at least tricks him into her own survival. She says, "Well, I think you're very powerful. What if you let me be your teacher and your student, and we learn how to harness this power?" 
in so many words. And he likes that, and so he makes her car reappear. They get in her car, they drive down the road, and as they're driving away, this desolate wasteland is blooming with blooming flowers with flowers as yeah. they go. I think it's fucking unsettling, mm-hmm. and yeah. I want to see more. <laughs> what the fuck do they get up to? It ends with a th- thunder crash, and you're kind of left wondering: is that the next segment, or is that the end on this segment? Right, yeah. it's kind of ambiguous. On that. Yeah, like yeah. It, maybe saying that ominous things. But the, but the next shot is the next short, you know, is yeah. the, the next story so, you don't really know. So the original episode in the Twilight Zone, the entire town was isolated under Anthony's uh, rule. It had yes. a more bleak ending. A.K.A. WandaVision, anybody? Yeah, that's, okay. true. that's true. And when he banished them, the Defiant people, they were banished to a nearby cornfield. Push you into the cornfield, yeah. Hello, Field of Dreams, Children of the Corn. <laughs> of the corn yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that that, that original sketch kind of still plays out today uh, did you ever see um, did you ever see Field of Dreams 2 playing the field <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut that out <laughs> did anybody watch the Twilight Zone marathons on New Year's, New Year's Day on Sci-Fi, on sci-fi? channel yeah. yes. yes oh god that was like a staple of growing up absolutely <laughs> uh, very good stuff do they still do it I don't know I haven't had cable since I think MeTV might do it but yeah, uh, yeah. or one of those other sub channels all right, so we got one more. One more Hashtag segment. Me TV. Hashtag MeTV. Send us that money. <laughs> uh, so we have Nightmare at 20,000 feet, originally starring William Shatner. Yep. This one is also based on a short story. Okay. Um, written... With the Shat, the original um, Twilight Zone, right? Yep. Yeah. This was written in 1961 by somebody's name who I can't read anymore. Sorry. Um, and it originally aired in 1963, and they so say it was, it's the most well-known. It was a fairly recent story that they adapted at the yes. time. Yes. Okay. And so uh, we, the light, I think that the lightning strike actually carries into that's the next segment, and he's out, the main character, played by John Lithgow. His eyes are bugging out of his head. He's, he's losing his mind from frame terrified. one. Terrified of flying. Mm-hmm. In the bathroom of a plane, and we mentioned this. Was I think he was doing George coke. Miller, right? I think he was doing coke before. <laughs> That's what it looked yeah, like. directed by George Miller. Very much. <laughs> the, he's, uh, the... he's down in the fetal position on the floor of the bathroom, and the flight attendants have to come and try to get him out of there. It should be One noted. Of whom, I was going to say the, the the senior flight attendant was played by Abby Lane, uh-huh, and, and the, the junior flight attendant was played by Donna Dixon. Donna Dixon, who was if not yet, but going to be married to Dan Aykroyd. Yes. And would work with him later on Dr. Detroit. Spies and, Like Us. Yes. And uh, vodka. They, they recently uh, split <laughs> the up. Crystal Skull Vodka. <laughs> yes. They recently split up, by the way. So she is available. Oh, She's on the market. Dixon's on the market. <laughs> just, so, just so you know. She's a real coup. So, <laughs> as you said, the most well-known segment, I think, the most popular episode. Yeah. You've got a guy who's on the plane. He's freaked out about flying in general. Then he peeks out the window and sees a monster on the wing. Mm-hmm. And he's ripping out the engines. And he's trying to convince everyone yeah. that this monster is on the plane. Nobody believes him. They think they he, think he's delusional. He's delusional. He's hysterical. There's a sky marshal on the plane who has, who's trying to detain him. There's an annoying little girl on yeah, this with a camera. Yeah, with a camera. And uh, I think one of the uh, crowning achievements of this segment, I think, is that the 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 descent of John Lithgow, in terms of how he looks, he is by the end mm-hmm. of it, he looks like chalk white fish meat. I mean, he is so <laughs> sweaty and clammy. 
and just terrified. I One thought thing, he did a good job. Yeah, was oh, right. yeah. I was uncomfortable. He was, I was showing like, range pretty early because fuck. he had only done a couple things. Like, yeah. He had a few film roles before this, but only a couple standouts. But the scene that nailed it for me was when after the flight attendant gave him the sedatives and he's in the chair of the plane, he's got the blanket wrapped around him and he's about to fall asleep, but then his eyes open back up and you know he wants to look out that window again and slowly <laughs> turns. He's fucking paralyzed with fright, but somehow manages to open the window. And we see the, we see the monster oh. again, right? <laughs> yeah. Only when other people look do they see nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so a tussle ensues. Yes. <laughs> between him and the fire, not the fire marshal, the air marshal. Air marshal. And the pilot, maybe, yep, too. Yep, the, the pilot, pilot comes, comes back there. Who's flying the plane? The little girl was a good actress, I thought, that was constantly berating John Lithgow throughout. Yeah, she was pretty it, snotty. Her mm-hmm. character she was. was supposed to be extremely annoying. I mean, she yeah. She was an amazing actress. <laughs> oh, actual footage of me <laughs> as a child. <laughs> the only part of this segment I didn't really care for was when we got the close-up of the monster, and he kind of does, like, a smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was almost like a like a, it was almost like a, a Bugs Bunny smile. It was too human. We're keeping it PG. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, because, like, he's about to, like, they're, they're going to land, and if this thing's on the plane, if it's on the wing, you're going to see it when we land. And then all of a sudden, he zip, zips off. Uh, uh, uh. And he kind of gives like a little wink and a nod. Mm-hmm. And that, I thought it was kind of cheesy, but like you said, it's PG, and I, I can let it, it go. They actually yeah. shot a PG-13 version where he just flips the bird with two hands. <laughs> YOLO! Release that cut. <laughs> and so in that tussle, um, Lithgow gets the gun. Did you already say that? No, I didn't. Lithgow go ahead. Lithgow gets the air marshal's gun and shoots through the glass at window trying to on hit a the monsterized plane. Yeah. Good guy with a gun. Um, and then the his hand is outside. He's partially outside the window, and the he's the, like freezing up and everything. Yeah. yeah. And did you say that the the gremlin gets the gun? No, I said good guy with a gun. Oh, okay. But something <laughs> right. happens, and he's not able to. He's not able to kill the I can't remember what the those circumstances were. But. I kind of stopped paying attention at that point because I'm like, he should be dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. And scientifically, yeah. he they would pull be him dead. back yes. in. The whole plane would have crashed. <laughs> um, They'd all be dead. But they, they make an emergency landing. Yes. And he is carted off. He saves the day. For, for mental evaluation. He's carted off, strapped down uh-huh. in an ambulance, and guess who's driving the ambulance? Thank God, safe well, on wait, the ground. Well, wait, before you do that, oh, they, the people walk around the oh, airplane. Yeah. <laughs> and they find... <laughs> light. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes, yes, the clear the, claw the marks. The damage, and isn't there, like, even a part of the... Yeah. yeah. There? It, it's fucked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so the driver of the ambulance turns out to be... Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Same character from the prologue. He's now... An ambulance driver. Ambulance. He's like, I heard you out of time up there in the air, huh? <laughs> and, he, he, and Lithgow's just like... Rrr, rrr. And just drooling he's in the like, mouth. well, you want to see something really scary? <laughs> more CCR. And then we roll credits. Yes. And it's bookend yeah. with more Creedence Clearwater yes, Revival. Credence yeah. all the way through. Mm-hmm. And that's the film. Um, like, like we all said, I think we're in agreement, as were most critics. You got 50% good, 50% mm-hmm. not so good. I, yes. I rank them in reverse order. I think yours is, your ranking is a little bit different, Marka. 4, 3, 1, 2 for me. I go 4, 3, 2, 1. I got 4, 3, 1, 2. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea? I think three, there's the most going on three, with the four, wish two, you into the quarantine. 3, 4, 2, 1. Okay. So we we all have our top half and bottom half of it. Yeah. It's just clear cut that you've got just 
uh, a superior product from the hungry directors. Yep. As you should. I think mm-hmm. that's great. Yep. But commercially, this was a success. Was it? it yes, was, it, it was. It was a medium it grossed, success. It right. grossed $42 million on a $10 million budget. So, hey, yeah, that's pretty a success. success. Yeah. yeah. And it played, like you said, forever on mm-hmm. HBO. Oh, God. Yeah, it was on cable other second every week. run. We could probably watch it right now. Just yeah. turn on your TV. I think it is on it. HBO Max. Oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure it is. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, anyway, that's the Let me the ask film. you this, though. If they've got Twilight Zone the movie on HBO Max, why don't they have Taxi Cab Confessions? Ooh, wow. Oh, shit. That's a great fucking Asking show. Asking the real Why questions. Why don't they have the show Real Sex? <laughs> oh, yeah. Another great show. Jesus Christ. <laughs> They're really dropping the ball here. They really are. That's why um, HBO's failing. So... That's the movie. Um, if you have an opinion on this movie that differs from ours, please contact us on the social medias and mm-hmm. let us know. Um, we have a special request from Joey Poole. Okay. He was very, uh, not very upset, but he was disappointed we didn't do the, the, the song. Oh, the song going so, into intermission. So we're going to go into intermission because mm-hmm. we're going to come back and talk about the controversy surrounding this film. But before we, we do... we're going to get? I don't know. Come up with something. Okay. All right. Put you on the spot. So before we do, we're going to say... Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and get ourselves some sparkly vampires because of Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That'll work. That works. Welcome back, job shoppers from Intermission. When we come back from Intermission, what do we like to do sometimes, Travis? A beer check-in, sir. Yeah, well, this <laughs> one we've got one from Odd Colony Brewing Company. Where are they out of? I'm not sure. Oh, this is a this is a collaboration between Odd Colony and Resident Culture. It's called Odd Culture Pilsner. Hmm. So Resident Culture is Charlotte. Charlotte. And then I wonder where Odd Colony is. I don't know, but I figured uh, the oddities of Twilight Zone made oh, yeah. this inappropriate. I love that the, can. The cover art yeah. is amazing. I love We've that got can. some like, like a ring around the rosy with some mushrooms and an earthworm and Neat a hand drawn look. Like a mushrooms with legs <laughs> and a um, what seems to be a carnivorous five eyed plant. Mark, you want to look at that? Yeah. So it's a pilsner. Should be nice and light, easy drinking for the summertime. Yep. Wow. Looks like an earthworm. A mushroom with a butt. It's like they're making a non-human centipede. <laughs> oh, God. So while we're enjoying that, we're going to jump into the second half of the show. And uh-huh. We're going to talk about the controversy surrounding this shitstorm of Twilight Zone the movie. Yeah. So the controversy mostly involves just the first segment, the John Landis. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to read the, read the type or do you want me to? You can read it. Go for it. During the filming of segment one... Directed by Landis, on July 23, 1982, at around 2.30 in the morning, actor Vic Morrow and child actors Micah Din Lee, age 7, and Renee Shinyi Chen, age 6, died in an accident involving a helicopter being used on set. The two child actors were hired in violation of California law, which prohibits child actors from working at night or in proximity to explosions, and requires the presence of a teacher or social worker. 
not the parent. That's weird. During the subsequent trial, Landis denied culpability for the accident, but admitted that their hiring was wrong. Fucking Landis. Mm -hmm. My God. I watched like four hours of footage, like news footage as this shit was happening, because I had no idea. I didn't know until we watched the cursed films. I was going to say we should give proper credit yes. because the great TV series from Shudder, mm-hmm. Cursed Films, did an excellent episode yep. where they talk about this. And that's kind of what inspired us to do this episode. Gotcha. Yeah. Please continue. I was I was just I was fucking freaked out by it. I didn't know if they were going to show this stuff in the movie. Uh-huh. And I'd watched the movie before I watched all this news footage and there was nothing. There's not a dedication to Vic Morrow. There is no, no fucking mention. It's no, just it's not acknowledged erased, at all. And it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's fucking bullshit. All right, so let's slow down and let's talk about the actual accident mm-hmm. itself and then we'll get into some of the fallout. So they were supposed to be filming a scene where uh Vic Morrow's character is helping two young Vietnamese children. He's going to rescue the kids. Rescue them and take them to the helicopter. Yes. And in the meantime, there's supposed to be explosions going off everywhere. And the helicopter comes in and they get on the helicopter and fly away. And that could have been the beginning of his redemption arc. But (laughs) instead, the helicopter got too close to the explosions or the explosions were planted too close to the helicopter's path. And... The helicopter crashed into the water, instantly killing Vic Morrow and those two child Decapitating the Vic Morrow and one kid, and the other kid was crushed, apparently, yeah. from the details I've read. So this is the part that I remember most from being a kid, was the fact that the there was this story surrounding this mm-hmm. film. I knew about it before I saw the movie. Um, I guess... My mom felt the need to tell me about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she was trying to deter well, you from watching seemed, the movie. It seemed <laughs> like it was Hollywood. everywhere at the time. Yeah. And it ramped up again during the film's release because Landis yeah. and the producers and a couple of special effects, I think it was four people all together, were indicted on manslaughter yeah. charges the day this movie premiered. I think this is a good point to ask this question. If this had happened on a film production today... Would the movie as a whole ever be released? Well, this is an anthology series, so you can mm-hmm. pretty easily cut that whole segment out. And but even, reshoot even it, just out of respect for the people killed, I think they would still keep what they have and just cut that I one segment. I have a recent example. Okay. Yeah. The what Alec Baldwin incident that's, on the movie uh, Rust. That's, true. that's yep. what I was going to ask. That movie's probably not going to come out. But it's not an anthology picture that's either. True. However, you know, we, we're living in the, the age of social media. We're living in the age of, of instant access. Let's, let's think about that. If it happened today, the crew, so many people would have their cell phones out recording footage. And they do, that's another shitstorm in and of itself. They would have been convicted in the manslaughter. So, so yeah, you, you know, you, yeah. you've got that issue of the studio suing them for, like, you can't record that, you can release that. But then also you've got the social media backlash that would happen from the incident, that there would be so much pressure from the outside forces, not just what was happening in the courtroom and uh, determining, you know, culpability. I think that, I think, like you said, look at the Flash movie with Ezra Miller. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that thing's still coming that out. girl, and that, uh-huh. that movie's still, still coming out. Yeah, Allegedly. Still coming out. Uh, so you've got, you have these outside pressures from the court of public opinion. I don't think that Twilight Zone, the movie, comes out if this happened today. Another example, mm-hmm. uh, they were recently filming an Allman Brothers biopic in Georgia, and somebody died on a train trestle during a scene they were supposed to be filming on this train trestle, and that movie got 
scrapped and hmm. shelved. But go back a little bit further, Brandon Lee, The mm, Crow, The Crow, yeah. the crow came out. I mean, got released, yeah. but here, here's the thing. In, in a lot of those, they were true fucking accidents. accidents. There is culpability here. Okay, mm-hmm. this and, is a so negligence. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's get into say, some of the yeah. details of this because the allegations on the set from the safety officer, mm-hmm. from several people on set said... Landis was being reckless. Landis kept saying, get it lower, get it lower. And they said, no, we can't do it. It's too dangerous. And he insisted that it get to that point, which paints this picture of like, and I'm just going on the guy's behavior of a coked out, you know, <laughs> madman. Landis just, you know, I'm the director, motherfuckers. And Drunk with power and high yeah. on cocaine. Yes. It's not a good combination. No. He, he's co-executive producer and God damn it, we're going to get my shot. You know, that's the way I see this playing out in my mind based on what we've been told and it's like it's like dude you went too far and he went too far when he hired those two children mm-hmm. and paid them under the table yeah right. their parents barely spoke english and were on they set had, during the, the had accident. no idea there was actually going to be explosions going on that's not they, the children were away when they rehearsed it, and he was like, no, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. Did wow. we the parents testified th- to that. Did we determine where the filming location was? Yes. It's um, in Santa Clarita something Dune. Hang on. So it's actually in California. It's in California. That California law And when is... that military battalion is shooting that's whatever they see. They said the those distance, were live bullets. Live bullets. That yes. just really yeah. speaks to the atmosphere of the shoot. I Recklessness think. is yeah. what it speaks to. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's so, amazing you got away with it. So we saw, uh, who watched the episode of Cursed Films, we saw some of the uh, the courtroom footage of yep. Landis on the stand. Chelsea, you dove a lot deeper. Oh, fuck, did I ever. Um, my impression was that Landis was just very flippant about the whole thing. Yes. Like this no, was, no sign of remorse. Yeah, uh, It was an inconvenience to his schedule. Yeah. Is what the impression I got. If I were him, and, you know... He obviously had an ego. I've got a little bit of an ego. <laughs> I would have gotten a haircut before that court appearance. <laughs> that was the style. That was the style. But still, <laughs> if you want a jury to see you as a more responsible person, you it cut worked. the shag. It, it worked. worked. <laughs> they saw enough. Yeah, he got off. <laughs> but yeah, he just seemed so cocky and arrogant mm-hmm. on the stand, unapologetic, and he went well, to yeah. all three. Funerals. Not reflective. And um, so, like, in a 1996 interview, here you are a little bit removed. This is this quote. There was absolutely no good aspect about this whole story. The tragedy, which I think about every day, had an enormous impact on my career, from which I may possibly never recover. My <laughs> career. Fuck I, him. Poor Fuck baby. that fucking asshole. Yeah. Very... And then you know what he did in 2009? Signed a fucking petition that said Roman Polanski should be allowed to come back into the U.S., to participate in some of these fucking film festivals because they should be able to show their fucking films free and safely. Fuck you, Landis. Well, they both kind Suck of dick. came up came up around the same time. Jesus both part Christ. of that new era Hollywood. Um, so speaking of that, Steven Spielberg had a major falling out with John Landis over this, uh, rightfully so. Yes. They basically didn't become friends or weren't friends anymore. Friends anymore. Uh, you yeah, know who point. I was disappointed in? Nope. Dan Aykroyd. Ah, okay. Publicly supported him. And uh, so much so that Spielberg called for an end to the new Hollywood era because he said directors had carte blanche and no no oversight whatsoever. They could just do whatever they want. They were treated like gods on the set. And um, power leads to corruption, you know? Absolutely. 
And absolute power leads to absolute <laughs> corruption. Thanks, Travis. I'm popping open another beer. This is called Beach City. Uh-huh. And this is from Lincoln and South in Hilton Head. Oh. Have you tried any of their beers yet? No, I've Not. been to Hilton Head. But they I have a great there. IPA, a hazy IPA mm. that's available at various watering holes uh, around town. But... Um, this is their uh, their Pilsner as well. Here, I'll let you pour it and pass what it. What did Landis do after this whole thing happened? Because he, he did continue to release movies. He released... Oh, yeah. um, he'd already Trading released Places. The, that's right, Trading Places. And there's a really funny incident about him and Eddie Murphy. That's right, oh. yeah. Um, so, Eddie Murphy... I've only heard it from Eddie Murphy's perspective, but he, like, went up to him and, like, I don't know... Um, grabbed his neck like in a joking way they were they were fucking around mm -hmm. and then landis went to go like grab his junk okay and eddie murphy was like is this joking is this not joking because he got he came in a little hard a little fast and he was mm -hmm. like oh shit so he choked landis to the point where he kind of took the air out of his chest or whatever yeah landis falls to the ground like starts crying just runs off set <laughs> <laughs> like a little bitch yeah <laughs> i heard a quote of eddie murphy saying like vic murrow would work with him again before eddie murphy would basically oh wow yes. wow after, after he was dead wow <laughs> yeah i'm not sure they did not that have um, yeah they did not get along <laughs> incidentally vic morrow is the father of jennifer jason lee i did not i did not that. fucking know, know this either wow. and listen his daughters were a lot of the ones that were like, shit needs to fucking change. Yeah. There has to be safety standards. It so. is outrageous they released that, that segment with what they had of him before he died. That, At the that's very least, they should have scrapped that whole yeah. segment. They should it, have. It, it, and really. I think what I found most fucking disturbing was as I'm watching this footage, like, <clears throat> they talk about when they showed the jury unreleased footage and you can the, the footage that exists out there the, the shit that we saw after the cursed films it's, it's pretty graphic this shit is far more graphic mm -hmm. i fucking cannot believe that this is played on the six o'clock news it made its way to faces of death at one point oh my Classic god VHS it was serious it was fucking horrific like i had to stop watching it and i I mean, it is sickening. It's probably the most gruesome Hollywood death of all time. Can you think of another celebrity that's died in a more gruesome way? No. Uh, what about that Star Trek kid? Maybe Elvis? <laughs> oh, oh. Oh, where his car backed up on him? Yeah, yeah. but he wasn't decapitated by a helicopter. And it's not <laughs> fucking filmed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't filmed. It was caught on film, no Jesus. Uh, three Amigos. He did Three Amigos. Oh, gruesome. yeah. Gruesome. Um, oh, the, the great Sylvester Stallone film, Oscar. <laughs> Ooh. And that's about um, it, right? But nothing lately. Yeah. He's Clue. still trying to the work. Maybe Clue. He did Clue. He, he, he directed Clue? Okay. Huh. I enjoyed Clue, and now I feel different about it. Now I feel it. bad for liking it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, obviously, we're, we're not attorneys. Oh, he directed Thriller. But, yeah, that's true. Uh, but but we, are, we are people who could be pulled for jury duty. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. what's your take? I mean, based on what we've heard, what you've seen, and your your, your knowledge of the law, he was brought up on charges of, um, what was it? Manslaughter. Uh, involuntary manslaughter. Mm -hmm. Which is a light charge. That's considered. a very light charge. It, I think second degree murder would have been a better charge. Um, but as we know, celebrities don't go to jail, you guys. Yeah, it and that happen. I think that's that's the sad truth about it because Absolutely. in my mind, involuntary manslaughter is kind of a slam dunk charge. Yes, for something like this. But I mean, at least community service, something. Well, but just to go off scot free, it's insane. I know he's had to carry it with him the rest of his life, but he should. This is why it didn't work. The 
the prosecutor is this little 90 pound woman who has a big fucking mouth and she's a beast. Like her and the defense attorneys would go on the news all the time, fucking just going at each other's throats. And this little tiny woman is not gonna fucking overtake all these men. It's not going to happen. Especially not at the time. Not, the time, no, okay. no. And this, 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 the, you, I remember you telling me about this, and this reminds me of, of, of Marsha Clark it's with the, the OJ case, where you've got a woman in a very powerful situation, and the, the reaction from the jurors w- was, you know, how does this woman get off on, on, a, uh, on condemning this man? Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much sexual politics. It is. And it, it's, it, it's easier to, believe for 1983 but i mean i mean you know oj was what 95 and even then you had this case of like well this this shrill woman you know mm-hmm. trying to well, tell listen, us listen you know what for. i fucking hate to burst your bubble but even today in even 2022 today, exactly yeah i didn't change that much and that's, no. and that's really yeah, unfortunate really because you know the gender of an attorney should not impact whether or not someone broke the law or not right and I think that that probably did play into the juror's decision. It, it did, because again, with this news footage, they weren't talking about the smart arguments she made, how she went. They were talking about her fucking outfits <laughs> yeah. and all this uh, dumb bullshit. Like yeah. with Marsha Clark and her haircut. Right, exactly. And well, this one, yeah. she wore like this bee brooch because it was like good luck for her or something. So mm-hmm. they constantly comment on this. It was ridiculous. I mean, things haven't changed, have they? No. It, it feels no. exactly the same. Like that, that would be now, really. Well, one thing has changed. In do tell the year that this came out, Roe versus Wade stood. <laughs> oh, Jesus oh. Christ! See? Leave that in. Uh, <laughs> leave that leave in, because that's <laughs> fucked. Yeah. Wow. I love that guns that. have more rights than they women. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's, and uh, yeah. We're living in some strange times. Uh, if we're just uh, waxing politics now, uh, <laughs> at, at trivia the other night, uh, Marco and I had a contestant who was a first-time contestant, don't know who he is, probably won't come back, uh, had <laughs> oh, a God. question about Brittany Griner. And the he, turned, he turned in player. his answer, yeah. got it right, and then decided it would be a good idea to tell us, and I hope she stays there. <gasps> And we just both like blankly stared at him until he walked away. <laughs> oh my! It's a great yeah. time for um, assholes right now. They're having a real moment. <laughs> yeah, it's called the last uh, millennia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of the controversy surrounding mm-hmm. the Twilight Zone. And that's the Twilight Zone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was it was clearly I think up, the movie was upstaged by the headlines that surrounded it. If this Absolutely. accident, quote unquote accident, had never happened. Uh, the movie would have a much higher rating mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. It wouldn't have that asterisk by it. Mm. And they probably would have made even more money than they do actually did. Do you think? I, really I, think, I, think, I, I think often the, wonder. It could have gone either way. I think the movie would have come and gone and just been one of those movies that came out. That's and what I think. There it's would, a murderous row of directors, though. There, there would mean, probably be, there would really probably be like a people. certain amount of nostalgia surrounding mm-hmm. it uh, just because of, like what Marco just said, but I don't think that uh, I don't think the movie makes any real impact in the great landscape of film mm-hmm. anthology it's, horror. It's it's, yeah. an, stuff, it's yeah. an adaptation of a TV show, and we've mm-hmm. seen adaptations of TV show and vice versa. I do appreciate the anthology format, though, as oh, somebody yeah. who suffers every day <coughs> from ADHD. <laughs> Attention really, deficit disorder. It really works well for me. <laughs> Bite-sized chunks. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
so so yeah i mean i i don't personally i don't think that the film would really have much resonance today at all i just think it's just one of those movies that would have just come out and we would be like eh, okay twilight zone is just such an institution i think it's know? timeless absolutely I, I, I think i think twilight zone itself mm-hmm. it, 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 as you said and it, I, to me i think it's unfortunate that cbs all access was such a shit platform i think that if they, yeah if yeah. Jumble up the timeline, and you've got Paramount Plus where it is now. now it's yeah. kind of like the, the now the, they've got the the, the streaming power. Yeah, the streaming behemoth that it is. Uh, you've got Yellowstone and uh, and Star Trek, and you sandwich Twilight Zone in between those guys. I think that show does well and flourishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, Jordan Peele's a very popular uh, director now, and I I'm think, looking forward to Nope. I saw Thor yeah. last night, and they had a, a different trailer for what, what I'd seen of Nope. And they made it look a lot more like a comedy this time. Okay, mm-hmm. has my interest. It's a bait and switch. It is a bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> but Thor was good. Good. You guys haven't seen that. Um, have not. I've got to see it before the uh, trolls spoil it for me on the uh, the mm-hmm. webs. They're out there. I thought you were out. saying you need to see Thor before you see the movie Trolls. <laughs> no, I've got to see Trolls first. <laughs> well, if, you, if you do, please see it at the Julia. Uh, support I will. independent yeah, movie support theaters. local movie theaters. Um, yes. Chelsea, is there anything else on this yeah, there's, case there's that we there's need one to thing. jump in? Even though they were acquitted of all this shit, the civil charges. Yeah. Um, do we know? Yeah. Landis, I'm pretty sure I read $2 million to each of the children's families. Not enough. No. no. Out, I, and I, mean, I think it, it was settled outside of court, but I could be wrong. But I do know that um, Vic Morrow's family settled outside of court and that wow. was not disclosed. It's not, not disclosed. The, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, the uh, $2 million in early 80s money is significant, but what price there, of a, a life? I mean, that's. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, know. to watch these parents testify yeah, and him just shit all over it, it's like, you fucking know. Again, you yeah. For me, the biggest, the biggest slap in the face is just his cavalier attitude about the whole thing throughout. At it, the it funerals. Just, I even know. When he's, yeah. he, he should not have spoken. No. Funerals, first of all, yeah. no. it was respectful for him to attend. Yeah. Sure. He should not have needed the limelight. That's at the funeral. I'm going to add that to, to my list of time travel checklist. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to travel back. I'm just going to walk up to him and just pinch his lips shut. Say, hey, no, don't do it. What are you, do? what are you doing, man? Bad what idea. are you doing? Bad idea. <laughs> Who's this for? It's for you. So, I mean, I think on our description of this episode, we should at least acknowledge the three that were killed and okay. give them their in memoriam as yeah. that fucking mm. movie could have yeah, done. Yeah, and that's, and that's least. Uh, tying it back to the film. That was such a huge oversight. We dedicate this, this episode to the also, memories of the movie was released yeah. before yeah. the legal matters were resolved. Maybe there so was they something been to do with that. Culpability yeah. by doing that. No, they wouldn't have. They're still dead. <laughs> they, they're, they're still but the, dead. The, Company, no was it Paramount? Was it Paramount who did this? Uh, one of those biggies. Um, they probably at the time were like, well, this is still a pending legal matter. If we do a in memoriam, yeah. it's an admission. Yeah. That they're dead? That they're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, well, here's the, okay. Once it has been settled now, why the fuck can't you go and fix that? You can. But they didn't. Well, no. So, yeah, Twilight Zone. There we go. Yay. Yay. <laughs> what a fun movie. What a fun time. Good times, you guys. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> I think that the uh, the first half is a little more cheerful and lighthearted than the second. <laughs> the bitch sesh that was the second uh, half. Well, that's what that's what we wanted. It's a catharsis for us. Uh, it's just Really? 
I, I didn't know the details before being asked to come on this of what all went down. It's I knew worth people, a died. lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people I don't know. I was so shocked. The memory hold it really well, I have yeah. to say. So. It's, it's tragic. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, then uh, let's shut this bitch down. Who's got plugs? Oh, I want to I want to plug something. I bet I need Mark's help. Mm. Uh, it's a Neil Sesergia album. <laughs> okay, that samples yeah. the Twilight Zone theme. Is that Night Moods or Mouth no, Moods? No, that's Mouth Moods. I think we played it a year or so ago at Scary Movie Nights, and it was quite the hit. Okay. Awesome, <laughs> fantastic. Um, I'd like to plug Perfect Blue, 1998 anime, Perfect Blue. If you guys have never seen that, it's an amazing psychological thriller okay. that has just a very interesting use of color and just not really knowing what's going on. It holds up incredibly well. I, I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. It's great. I have no plugs. No plugs for you. Um, uh, you know, I guess I'm going to plug uh, the the president's use of executive orders. <laughs> uh, his predecessor used them and overuse them so why not uh why yeah. not use them i mean they're just guidelines they're not laws unfortunately right. so uh so uh use them yeah yeah and that's it so uh we're gonna try to come back in two weeks we're gonna have an episode that talks about multiverses mm. in their many forms uh. <laughs> and some good some not so good and uh, we'll see who our special guest will be for that episode. It remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Some good multiverse movies recently. Yes, very much so. And uh, for those of you who are new to the show, come check us out on social medias. We are Cinema Chop Shop on pretty much everything except for YouTube. It's Cinema Chop Shop Podcast on YouTube. Cinema Cop Shop is a completely different show about goatees. It's about nice. <laughs> hosted by Jay Leno. Yes. Mush Cinema Chop Shop, you're saying? <laughs> Okay. Mashugana Chop Shop. Machinima Chop Shop would be like a video game movie type thing. Machinima, you guys. I said cinema. I said machinima. Cop shop. Let's leave this in. <laughs> Absolutely, it's in. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. That's the show. Uh, tell your friends about us. Rate, review, and uh, share with your friends on all your podcatcher apps. And uh, just remember to watch, watch Chop. Retrofit. Retrofit.